the good. The bad. And the remake. Spoilers in three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Remake podcast, where we watch some classic films, some not so great, and their respective remakes. Will it be an unmake, an agree make, or amazing? My name's Neil, and these are my co hosts. Hi, I'm Catherine. Hello, I'm Ben. Today, we have episode 27, Solaris. Here are thoughts on the original, our expectations for the remake, the one thing we'll take from the remake into the original, and more. So, guys, uh, episode. 27 which is episode two of season three i think i've got that right yeah um we're covering uh solaris of course which is two films that we watched but uh man have you managed to conjure up that all important one synopsis yeah well i have i wonder if this might be controversial so i i i, I don't know Here do we you go. need to uh do you need to sound geoli spoiler clanks it no I don't think so. I don't think so. But I want to talk about that when I'm done, actually. Okay. 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 Here we go. Dr. Chris Kelvin, mourning the loss of his wife some years earlier, is beckoned to attend the space station near Solaris, a living planet where the investigating crew are suffering a shared delusion. Discovering suicide and mania on board, Kelvin is visited by one of Solaris's guests, a manifestation of his memories of his dead wife. Realizing that the guests are connected to the crew and to their own source, Kelvin tries to understand Solaris's purpose, be it benevolent or malevolent, perhaps uncovering the meaning of human life along the way. The two points in there that I think might be controversial, is it fair to call Solaris a living planet? And I guess what we'll get into is, do they discover the purpose of human life along the way? Well, I am curious to see if we do um... so so when we talk about these films i think because as i've said to you guys listen these are popular mainstream films the listeners will be queuing around the block for these guys a three-hour russian sci-fi movie from 1972 forget about it but on the off chance <laughs> that someone's listening to this and they haven't seen either film i think we should just not spoil the last sort of few minutes of both films you know the concluding moments because it would be really interesting to me if we actually persuade someone certainly to watch the tarkovsky film and with that in mind catherine is this your first ever tarkovsky this is my first ever tarkovsky yeah exciting times i'm very excited to talk about it <laughs> well before we get into all that um Catherine, uh, you're going to give us a few stats and facts on the uh, on the films themselves. Yeah, so as we've said, Andrei Tarkovsky directed the first one, 1972. Very small budget, 240,000-ish. Um, I'm sorry, no, that's how much the gross was. I can't find a budget for it. Um, and it was it was a Russian film in the Cold War era. I'm not sure that they would have released those kind of figures. I don't know. I couldn't find it. Loads of rubles. Loads of rubles. rubles. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It was rubles. Yeah, I. It probably still is. Um, I, I can't work out if that 
if it would have been more or less. I don't know. 1972 rubles. I'm, I, I'm I, pretty sure it would have cost more than a quarter of a million dollars even, but that's right. just me. Yeah. Well, you know far more, far more on that than me. But So Tarkovsky's films, The Sacrifice, Mirror, Nostalgia. I don't know if they're his best ones. I've heard the name. I have no idea what he's made or apart from reading it on Wikipedia. Wikipedia did tell me, though, that he's considered one of the greatest and most influential directors in cinema history. Why, you ask? Um, because, well, if you're me, anyway, why is he so great? Um, he's the chief exemplar of what is sometimes called slow cinema, in which the camera lingers in long takes on austere landscapes and scenes of minimal activity. And that... Yeah, that's about right. That is what we're going to talk about, I guess. I, I mean, I would say probably his two most famous films. You've actually seen more of them than me, I think, Neil. Um, Stalker is probably his most famous film. And Andre Rublev is a very well-regarded film as well. I'd say those are probably the two most famous. Yeah, so see how you get on with Solaris. We'll see, Catherine, if we'll stick uh, Stalker on later. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, and the remake was Steven Soderbergh, uh, 2002, so 30 years later. 47 million that one cost. And it only took 30 at the box office worldwide, gross 30 million, so that's a loss of 17 million. Soderbergh sort of... He'd just done Ocean's Eleven. I'm, I'm stealing your thunder here a little bit, but he'd just done oh, Ocean's Eleven. And he said, um, I'll only do Ocean's 12 if Solaris isn't a hit. And when it lost money, he went and made Ocean's 12. And uh, do you remember Barry Norman used to do the film show on BBC? <laughs> I do, yeah. He relayed that story. And he was like, when he was reviewing Ocean's 12, he was like, God, I wish Solaris had been a hit. I hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... He's, I know his name, Steven Soderbergh. I've seen his films. He's a director, producer, screenwriter, cinematographer, and editor. And he did, he did, he was the director, screenwriter, cinematographer, and editor on this film, on Solaris. So, which I find is, it's not usual, is it? In certainly big studio films, I don't think. My, micromanaging, any? Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, probably, probably. A good bit of background on the um, on the films, um, but in terms of. Um, if you didn't listen to, to last week's episode, a kind of brief history of, of um, I guess, us watching them previously. Uh, I have seen both, uh, and this is my first rewatch of both. I watched the um, Tarkovsky one first. Um, as Ben said, I kind of got into a bit of a Tarkovsky phase and I was making my way through the films. And then uh, obviously doing this podcast, although we didn't have an episode, I think it was on Disney Plus at the time, the remake, and yeah, gave it a shot, um, and here we are. We'll get into my thoughts uh, about them shortly. But, Catherine, have you seen either of them? I think we've established I've not seen um, the Tarkovsky one, and I hadn't seen Solaris either. I, I'd assumed it was about the sun, to be honest, being sure. called Solaris, yeah, yeah, pertaining to the sun. But, um, I mean, mm, roundabout way, I guess. It's space, isn't it? But, no, not seen either. I started watching the Tarkovsky one. We're all going to stumble over that name so many times today, I'm sure of it. The Russian one um, in the late 90s, so when I was in my late teens, and I didn't make it more than 20 or 30 minutes in. It was not the vibe I was going for. However, I did see the Soderbergh one. Do you remember Love Film when they used to send you DVDs? It was one of the first films I got from my Love Film subscription. So that was when I saw that, and, and you'll hear what I think about it later. But subsequently, and I mean a few years later, I went back, I think, and watched Tarkovsky's version after that. Very good. So I think that just leaves us to get into the uh, the films themselves. So starting with the original, 
as always, uh, Catherine is going to kick us off. Tell us what you thought of Solaris, the original. So now we've established that you'd both seen this film. Why would you do this to me? Why would you make me watch this film? Is it was it... torture. It was torture. It was an interminable film. And I, I, my insides were itchy with how much I wanted to get up and leave the sofa. I, I, I struggled physically to watch this film. And I'm not, this is not an exaggeration. I had a physical reaction to how, how much I did not want to watch this film because it, I, I had to get up and leave. It, I, it was torture. It was torture. And I'm, I'm so annoyed at you making me watch this film. I'm so annoyed. I don't know why. What have I done? What have so, I done to hurt you? I think you're not going to be watching Stalker later, Neil. No, no. Every shot, which I spoke about just in the little intro that we've done, what are you laughing at? Just, <laughs> Is it just me? you, yeah. yeah. I mean, so why Tarkovsky's considered one of the greatest cinematographers is why I hated this film. Director, sorry. It Every shot was 10 times as long as it needed to be. And I understand that what when it got to by the time it got to the end of the film, I understand why he lingered on life and parts of the earth and parts of humanity. I understood that, but it took two and a half hours for him to explain that to me. And I don't think he did it well. And I I was I was I was out of it by that point. I did not I was so out of the film. I didn't care. He'd taken so long to get to that point. I understand why he was focused on, on humanity and life. But why was every shot two minutes long? The people were just like contemplative, silently, sadly contemplative in a garden. But why? Like there was no explanation. And I found this. I know that film buffs like you will be like, this is the great thing about the film. And you just don't understand. And I don't care if I'm a pleb and I don't <laughs> understand it. I, I could not get on board with this film at all. I mean, when I heard the running time, obviously, that got my hackles up, but I was like, I was like, no, no, no. I'll, I'll see. Maybe, you know, there might be some areas where it can be cut down. Everywhere could have been cut down. Every single point of the film could have been cut down. At forty-seven minutes, I went. I cannot wait for a big, cheesy, bombastic Hollywood glossy, bastardized version of this film. I want to see it so much. I want to hear some. I want to hear George Clooney shouting, "Fuck Solaris!" and just a big. Hollywood film I was like I cannot wait for this because wow. I thought I had strong feelings about Psycho last week you did about the remake well oh, they're nothing compared to this so nothing what you you actually like hated this thing you didn't see anything of value in it personally there were little tiny moments where I was like oh yes and I could see why it would make a great remake and I could see why someone mm. would want to remake it and the what I say are hints at discussions of what humanity is. It took so long to get there. It's so long. And like I found that quite interesting, but even those discussions were just stretched out so long. And then I think, I don't know if it's because I, like I said, it, I can't tell you how much of a physical reaction I did have, like as in I can't, I, it, I've got to keep myself sat on this couch. Repulsed, like no, physically... No wanted to move away from the tv no I, not repulsed it wasn't okay. like a film i was like oh i hate this so much i've got you know I, i'm sickened by it i just i was like 
my life is so short. I've got a million other things <laughs> I could be doing. I, and But that is honestly what I felt. I was like, I, you know, we have a limited time on this earth, which is, you know, partly what the film might be, you know, discussing. Um, I'm trying not to spoil anything, but, you know, by the end of it, I because I'd felt this way, I don't know if I maybe took the wrong things. But at one point when, is it Harry? Harry mm-hmm. is is discussing, um, she has this quite a big speech and she's clearly taking on these human aspects, these, this, she's becoming human or she's like say taking on human traits she's you know we talk about humanity and um what that means and she seemed to start embodying all of that but she talks about being in so much despair and that is almost what it meant to be human like despair is like is that what the human condition is despair and I was like oh my god this film so I and I know they you know they threw in another a few other like is it fear is it you know love is it sort of happiness I think at one point there's a quote the mystery of happiness and death but I can't tell if it didn't dive into those themes enough or if I'd just been so completely gone against this film by that point that I could not get on board with it I honestly don't know and obviously I am the only person on this earth possibly the universe who feels this way about the film but i yeah i can't believe you made me watch this film well i mean so, I, gu- I guarantee you're not the only person that feels that way and i'll get into why in a minute but go on now no i was going to say so um i mean i was sat watching it with Catherine, and, and you know when i mean we sit next to each other on the sofa so i can't see like her physical reaction but i knew 10 15 minutes in she wasn't enjoying it at all and but, um was it was there some <sighs> Some of that. No, no, it was just that that feeling, that that kind of tension of yeah, I could just immediately tell. But what I was going to say was it the story you told, you know, when you first tried to watch this. Yeah. Obviously, you know, this is 20, 20 years on or whatever, thirty years on. How many years on? I don't know. Ben. Let's go with twenty. Let's go with twenty. <laughs> so, and I do think so. Put it this way: if you weren't recording a podcast episode, you would have turned it off, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Yeah, and. Yeah. And I guess, sorry, I guess the, the fact that if anybody has been touched with it, has not seen this, the one or two things I would say, like Ben said at the start, it's a 1970s Russian subtitled almost three-hour film that is slow. See, and, I and, can... and, and deliberate and contemplative. And, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but yeah. but I, I don't felt, I, I felt it was so confusing and I don't know if that was deliberate, it, like not telling you the story or the reasons why anything was happening. I don't know if that was deliberate. Like I had no clue why he was going to Solaris. I didn't even know he was a psychologist or psychiatrist. I only sort of realized that in the in the second film. I, I he was obviously a scientist of some sort, but I felt lost. And I don't I'm usually okay with world building. You know, I usually follow along quite well and I'm quite happy if I'm not because I feel like that's okay. I trust the process and I'll get there. Do you know what I mean? Maybe we're not supposed to understand yet, but this I found it was frustrating that I, I couldn't understand what was happening. Yeah, I, f- I feel like there was, there was something else I was going to say, but... Was it about the um, the start of part two? Harry takes a little trip. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really I, work, that sequence, to be fair, does it? It's I, a bit I, I burst out laughing at both... In both f- films, at that point, I burst out laughing. Really? I, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know why. It just really 
Aren't it funny? No, I mean, I, I was watching it again this time. And when it got to that bit, I remembered what was coming up. I didn't I didn't remember how it, it comes off in the film, which is actually true of a lot of the film, which is something else I want to talk about. But um, it, 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 like its budget definitely betrays it at that point. That sequence does not mm. make logical sense. It totally betrays the fact that there's any serious science going on in this film. And I can understand laughing at that version. So um... well, I just I, I want to be someone who understands film and you know can have intelligent conversations about film but god i hated it but i <laughs> so i was going to say that that i think i might have mentioned this on a podcast before like um i don't think you should feel that because you didn't enjoy it that you're wrong or anything like that because no. um there's a film called brazil which absolutely should be in my wheelhouse it's um is it terry gilliam yeah 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 um it's sci-fi it's all this and i I got close to really hating it. I just couldn't get on board with it. And I understand that it's a great film and people love it and all that stuff. So, you know, personal tastes and things. Um, but go on, Ben, you were going to say something. Well, I just wanted to say, have you ever seen 2001, Catherine? Love 2001, Space Odyssey, 2001. Because I think that's long and obtuse and slow and surreal and all of those things. And actually this, Tarkovsky Solaris, was made as a direct response to 2001, which he hated. He thought it was too uh, oblique and obtuse, like it didn't have a point. It didn't, it was genuinely pretentious. And I think that idea of pretension of like what you were saying about why is the shot so slow? Why is it so meticulous if it's not telling me anything? I think if that's true, some filmmakers will do that out of pretension, which is if I linger on this long enough, the viewer will imbue it with meaning. But I think what Tarkovsky was actually trying to do was make more of a story than 2001 actually was. Yeah, I, 2001 actually isn't that much of a story and it doesn't have a clear sort of ending, really. You know, there's no, not that I can remember anyway. I just enjoyed it. There were definitely parts I found long and boring and obtuse, like you've said, definitely parts, but I liked it. So, so yeah, I've seen this before. Um, I loved it the first time. I loved it the second time. Two things, I guess. So the first time I watched it, I broadly, I didn't, had no idea of the specifics of the plot or anything like that, but I broadly knew that I was watching, I think I watched it on a Sunday afternoon, like a, a Russian subtitled Tarkovsky film. I think it was my first, I think it might have been my first one, actually. A few things I really liked about it, they were a bit, bit quirky and a bit different. So when uh, at the start of the, near the start of the film, where he's watching the video footage in black and white, and when everyone's talking, it's going, boop. And then the other side talks, he goes, boop. And this was like 1972. You know, it was cool. It, that was really cool. Chris, is it Chris in the, yeah. yeah. And Jibarian, love leather jackets. A couple <laughs> of great leather jackets knocking around. Love that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's clearly the uniform on the, on a space station. I, I want yeah. the, I want the neon yellow, like wife beater that he's got as well. It looks like something out of Mad Max <laughs> or cruising or something, you know? So, yeah, I think, um, I mean, just to give this some context for those people, if you're listening and haven't seen it, it is split into two parts. There's literally a part one and a part two, and they're about 50-50. I think it's about an hour and 20, an hour and 25 minutes, maybe. And the first part is predominantly on Earth, and then subsequently goes on the ship, and then it moves from there. But there is a scene where somebody is driving a car along a freeway or a motorway, for about five minutes with no dialogue. Yeah. That is, it's telling a story. It's telling him kind of how far away he's 
you know, where he's living, he's living in this kind of quaint little area. There's like green around him. There's, he takes his little walk every day. His family come to visit him. But now he's like traveling and, you know, he's so far removed from a city, I guess. That's the feeling I got anyway. And obviously then he's going into space, uh, which is, you know, taking him even further away from his family. Before he goes, he burns all his belongings, you know, and there's there's kind of hints in there as to as to some of his um, past, I guess. We will get into some of the detail of the film, but as you say, not not quite the, the endings and things. I'm not sure when to I, I throw this out there. Should we save a lot of the philosophical chat for once we've discussed both films? Or um, we can. Or should we get yeah. it? Get, yeah, okay. We okay. It's just that I think there is something fascinating about both, I guess, his wife and how she is a, a created from his memory of her. Mm. That is very interesting because yeah. it's even referenced at times. You know, it's how he remembered her, not necessarily who she was and that that could be two different things and there's um, layers there's layers to that as well when he burns her when he gets rid of her for the first time is it snout or something or mm -hmm. snout he's almost laughing at him like did you try something more humane first like poison or whatever and then he says will she come back and he says yeah but it won't be her meaning it won't be your wife and it won't be the one that you just killed because she won't remember the fact that you killed her she'll be something else again yeah, and and it's yeah. all about what he is manifesting in his thoughts is what she will manifest physically, almost. Love the uh, annihilator chat. Yeah, <laughs> just get the annihilator out. The encephalogram yeah. and the annihilator, Plan A yeah. and Plan B. That's it. Uh, so I think we've touched on, uh, but the wife obviously committed suicide um, back on Earth. So yeah, okay. So she committed suicide ten years ago. So thinking about what we were just saying about how Chris remembered her, clearly she had some mental problems. She was, you know, she committed suicide. Something was was in her psyche that, you know, caused her to do that. But when she's created by Solaris in the ship, she kills herself a couple of times um, uh, or certainly self-harms, at least definitely tries to kill herself once. But that reanimation scene is is disturbing isn't it it's like it's, really the one where she drinks the liquid oxygen oxygen it's like body horror type. yeah because mm. it's, it's really good have you seen a film called possession andre solovsky's possession yeah. no, there's a no, scene no, no, in no. that which is very very famous and i wonder it made me think i think solovsky was was referenced in tarkovsky but anyone who's seen possession will know what i'm talking about yeah and then in that one where she drank liquid ox oxygen i think it's referenced earlier she she feels pain. She thinks she's human. You know, it's, well, she believes she's human. We'll about get into the debate about whether she is or not later. But essentially, she feels pain. So when she reanimates, she's just coming back to life in absolute agony of just drank some liquid oxygen. It's horrible. Yeah, and in both um, versions, even. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the the other guy, it's it's. I think Sartorius in the original just says, "I can't watch this. I can't be around no. for another one of these resurrections." No. Trying to think, there's probably lots of other stuff I'll touch on when we get into the remake because I think it's an interesting comparison. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll pause there and hand over to you, Ben. I want to start by saying I, I did worry that this was going to be a taxing one. And for, for all the listeners and for you, Catherine, I want to reassure you this early in the run, we are going to have some fun at some point. Tarkovsky's not a filmmaker who's known for like knockabout comedies or or even levity, like. His films are serious. And I think at one point he even said, if I can't make a long, boring film, 
I'd rather kill myself. But the reason I say it's a shame is because I think this is not my favorite of his films. Uh, it's good, but it's not his best. Stalker is a fantastic film, um, and it's probably about an hour shorter than this. But Mirror, if you could ever bring yourself to watch Mirror, Catherine, in my opinion, genuinely one of the best films ever made. Absolutely beautiful film with a stunning central performance. So just on that point, I think it's it would be a shame if you if you could never dip your toe in again. But I completely val I want you to feel validated that the way you feel about this film is certainly how many, 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 many people feel about this film. <laughs> okay. Or all of his films for that matter. But I just before you start though, please, can I just ask that you Please don't do what you did last week, you two, and turn me around on this film. <laughs> Please don't do it. I'm reveling in my hatred of it, and well, I, I want to embrace it, and I please... It's a teachable oh. moment, though. You know, Look, it's not the boys ganging up on the girl. It's not that. It's just, you know, we've got to try and have balance, you know. Okay, well, I'll, I'll listen. I'll listen. The first thing that struck me watching it this time was... I really felt how influential this film has been. And I think you can feel the fingerprints of it in a, in a lot of very popular films. Event Horizon is a, a natural comparison. A crew lost in space, a rescue team comes along. They're having shared delusions, except in that film, it's, it's very obvious that the equivalent of Solaris in that is a malevolent force. And in this, it's it's more ambiguous. But the one that really struck me that I didn't expect to think about so much, because it's not a direct comparison, was Inception. The idea that Leonardo DiCaprio's wife character in Inception, in his memories, she is just a facsimile. He could never express her in all of her complexity is one of the things that he says to her uh, towards the end of the film. And that's very much the relationship between Kelvin and Harry in, in this film, is once he realizes you're only what I remember of you, and she realizes it too, that's that doesn't make you her. That's just your copy of her. You know, you're 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 not three dimensions. You're only two dimensions. And and the, there's even a shot at the beginning before he goes to Solaris, of the two little kids running away up the grass bank. And I thought that's Cobb's kids. That is exactly the shot of Cobb's kids in Inception. So just wanted to say that I can feel the 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 influence of it in lots and lots of different places. Now where I'll come on side with you, Catherine, is I think. It's a quality and a negative of the film that Tarkovsky has managed to craft a film in a dreamlike state. And I want to give him props for that because I've seen this film, I reckon, at least three times. And sitting down to watch it this time, I still couldn't remember what happened in it. I couldn't remember individual scenes. I couldn't remember individual moments of dialogue or anything like that. Like, to reference Inception again, a half-forgotten dream. I have a memory of a feeling that this film gave me, a sensation, not actual moments, images maybe. So the memory of the film is much like the memory of a dream. What I'll say about that though is I have not once made it through this film in one sitting and this time it was exactly the same. I actually fell asleep in that bit that you were talking about, Neil, where it's the car journey. I just dozed off and I just stopped the film and came back to it later. And I've never made it through in one sitting. So I think that does speak to the fact that it is a bit of a trial. You really have to engage with the detail of the film. And if you if you can do that, 
I think it is a case study in, I'm going to be really pretentious myself now, mise-en-scene. The idea that what you fill the frame with, how you fill the frame, and how you move through that scene with a camera is as important a part of the storytelling as anything else that you do with the script and the actors and all of that. And I think Tarkovsky is a master of that. And I think especially those early sequences on Earth are absolutely gorgeous. And the way that the camera moves slowly and fluidly, I think nothing happens in this film by accident. And that's very much what he's telling you. In terms of the, the, the sort of the content of the film, the meaning of the film, the manifestations have flawed memories. The guests have flawed memories because they come from someone else's memories. They are inherently incomplete. So they don't know where they've come from, but they do know how to feel. And I think there's something really interesting in that. And throughout the film, Hari's point is, I'm becoming more human because I have these human fears and I have this human love. And if anything, what the human characters are doing is trying to get rid of their compassion and become less human to deal with Solaris. In balance to the, the, the guests becoming more human and being built on someone else's memory of them, Sartorius, who is the, the philosopher of the group in a way, he keeps trying to get Kelvin to read these specific books. Everything else is bullshit. But he, he has quite a philosophical moment in the library, and he's, he basically believes that nature created man in order to understand itself. And he says, in his endless search for truth, man is cursed with knowledge. Anything else is a whim. I just think there's these, these little loops that feed into one another. Catherine's fallen asleep already just hearing me say that. No, I'm just uh, annoyed at myself. I'm falling for it. <laughs> uh, uh, there's lots of stuff like that. I think that the, the philosophical elements are, are really nicely done. Actually, I, I really like the dialogue in this. And I'd be curious to know how much of it comes from Stanislav Lem's novel, because a lot of the dialogue appears verbatim in Soderbergh's version. I think, and this is where you will disagree with me, Catherine, although I say it's not a fun film, I do think it's a fairly easy to follow one. The reason I say that is because it has clear rules. And that's really important for science fiction. It's the difference between science fiction and fantasy. Fantasy doesn't have to have any rules. Science fiction does have to have rules. And I think you understand the rules of this world that Tarkovsky is creating. I also think that the dialogue is contemplative, but it's not confusing. And I think if you if you engage with it, you can quite easily get out of the film what it's trying to say, at least, whether you agree with it or not. And the other thing, going back to something that you said, Neil, that I've I only just clicked when you were saying it about how remote he lives, um, how far he is away from other people, essentially. Uh, he's built his own little world on earth. He even reconstructed his grandfather's house, we learned at the beginning. And like you said, he's burning all of his earthly possessions. I wonder if that is an allusion to an old Russian uh, saint about, uh, it, I don't know if it's folklore, if it's true, this guy who who just left life behind and went and lived in the woods. But he says something later on in the film when he has his realization about perhaps what the meaning of Solaris is. You love that which you can lose. And he talks about earth and people and, and all of this stuff. And he basically had to travel halfway across the galaxy to realize that he wants to be on earth and that he wants to be around other people. It's something that the second film explores in a different way, but 
this journey was the therapy that he needed to re-engage with mankind in a way leaving mankind behind was necessary for him to learn how to love home and people and i do think there's something very true in that and i think that's something that most people could probably relate to so i think it's a film dealing with big ideas i think it's maybe even trying to grapple with the meaning of life itself certainly human life and i think if that is appealing to you given all of the caveats that we've said about the runtime and how deliberate it is and blah 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 it is a strong recommendation from me i think there's maybe also something to be said to it in breaking into those two parts and don't try and watch it all in one go probably give yourself a break halfway through so it's a film that i like a lot it's not a film that i love necessarily certainly not an enjoyable film yeah and now that i've got this out of it and i can't remember things from it i don't know if i need to see it again in a hurry to be honest i just feel bad that i put people off now <laughs> no 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 people i think make it's... their own minds up yeah um so Catherine, you did touch on in your kind of uh points around the original that you were just wanted to be hollywood bastardized you know that's what you wanted you wanted hollywood to do it and tell the story i just knew so i i did see aspects of the story it's like yeah this i i understand why this is a good story and but i just need it to be quicker yeah, no. So, so with that, do you want to tell us your thoughts on the remake? Immediately when it was only an hour and what, 39 minutes, I was like, yes, I love this film. I love it. But um, seriously, how I felt about it immediately after watching it was that yeah, this is a great film. I've I've cooled on it. I've cooled on it. I think I was just so <laughs> enraptured by it because of the first film. But I still found it. I was waiting I was waiting for something. And now I like what they did with it. I like the changes they made to the story. You know, how they tweaked it. I thought it worked very well. I like I like the fact that we were five minutes in and I knew who he was. I knew why he was going to Solaris. He was on his way to Solaris. It was much, for me, much, much better. It was like, yeah, boom, boom, boom. Here we are into the story now. I'm sort of processing now everything that you two have said. Can, can I ask a question about George Clooney? Yeah. I was thinking if you, not you, if one was a fan of George Clooney's naked butt, I don't think there's a better film that you could watch than this. There's a couple of like very a nice shots. Yeah, real nice shots of his butt. I couldn't think of any better ones. Maybe Batman and Robin. It's fine. It's not my favorite. It's a but, very um... good It's a very good bottom, if you don't mind me saying. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he's, he's a very nice man. I just... Maybe not. Are you trying to say, Ben? My favourite. He's got a... <laughs> Maybe. Do you, want, do you want us to just keep the conversation going? You can chip just, in. Yeah. I'm, okay, I'm... okay, yeah, yeah. So a couple of things Catherine said there around five minutes and we understand who he is and we're on the ship. And I think it's probably about half an hour, 40 minutes, maybe. The sending wife or mm. into space is about halfway point in both films. So obviously in the first film, it was like an hour and 20, hour and 25. In the remake, it's like, what, 45 minutes, maybe? Yeah. 40 minutes? So uh, as I say, I've seen this before, um, and I love it as well. So, um, and I'll get into some of the reasons why. But as I was watching it, about five minutes in, I think I literally wrote a note around going, this film looks amazing. Mm. Like, 
it's it looks so good like and this is 2002 so it's it's 20 odd years old now you know but there's so much in it and these guys of course know this and i probably have mentioned it on this podcast that blade runner 2049 is probably my favorite film of all time and there's a lot of blade runner 2049 in it the okay. opening scene with the rain as they're walking there's a lot of uh shots of solaris it's a bit more purpley and hazy it's what i wanted for the remake as in it was sharper. It was um, the story was, you know, tweaked and tidied up and explained better what I wanted. It was it was far more colourful. It was more interesting. Well, it's it's definitely more colourful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it... um, I preferred. I think I preferred the characters. I didn't. I didn't get the relationship between the three men in the original. Mm. You know, it, it was so, and I understand that they're going through psychological trauma, but. Still, I, I, I just didn't. It didn't gel for me, and um, and it was. I much prefer that there were more people, or there had been more people on this, because that made more sense to me <clears throat> on the spaceship, the space station, and it just gave it a little bit more scope for a few more deaths or a few more interactions. I like Viola Davis's character. Would have liked to see a bit more of her. I think, but yeah, I it it was for the most part. It was far more of what I wanted anyway. Maybe not the explosions, and you know. <laughs> that kind of thing but that was that was actually never going to happen was it but yeah it's yeah. not star wars that's for sure no. no 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 but i i think i think for remaking that film they've done a, a really really good job of it mm. really good job and in a sense i think you kind of touched on this before but in a sense if it was a film that you disliked the tarkovsky one that's a great candidate for a remake isn't it that's what you should remake, you know, take the ideas yeah. and do something new with it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just repeating what you said, really. But did it sounds like it kind of satisfied that feeling for you. Yeah, yeah, it really did. Yeah, another visual um, thing that I noted down as well is that it reminded me a lot like Halo. So Ben's a Halo player. There's a lot okay. of feeling of Halo. Just All the purple, the isn't it? Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a bit avatar as well at times of that sure. kind of purple and blue. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just to reiterate, this is 2002, so... I think Halo was kicking, was it? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, right. Yeah, Halo was kicking around, yeah. Uh, Clooney is great in this, got a great ass. Uh, <laughs> let me make sure I pronounce, is it Natasha McCalhoun? McCal- I would say, yeah, or yeah, McCalhoun, yeah. McCalhoun, yeah, yeah. She's got a great ass too, you know, can't leave her, the lady butts out. I didn't see her, but I was I was yeah. obviously distracted by Clooney's. Yeah, that, fairly. Those, those scenes were shot, um, just the two of them and... Soderbergh, and he had a handheld camera. It was a completely close set. Close set, nice. Yeah. I thought you were going to say he had his ass out too. Yeah, yeah just <laughs> butt naked well, with, with a strategically placed boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think what this so what this film does is it takes. It's amazing, actually, what Soderbergh has done. And Soderbergh has, uh, by no means, I know Ben, you've probably seen a lot more of his films, but the films I've seen, when he is on it, he oh, is yeah. on it. Yeah. And he's and I think he's on it on this. Yeah. Um and sometimes he's not on it. Honestly, how they've distilled it down from what it is to keeping the same core theme and actually exploring certainly the core relationship a whole lot more. Yeah. I think the uh the flashback scenes had so much. Yeah. Like seeing how they met and, and it's it's like he's having a dream, isn't it? And he but he's is he remembering, is he manifesting, is he dreaming? Did this actually happen or is this how he remembered it? And then she appears and it's like, oh, oh, my God, you know, what's going on here? Some of the, I won't have this word for word, but some of the uh, script writing is, is brilliant. It's, uh, I think when they first kind of meet or, well, when she first uh, appears on the ship, it's like, yeah, we've been apart. He's like, yeah, a few years. 
Uh, were you alone? Was it difficult? Uh, it was easy in being with someone else, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. And did you think about me? Yes. And it's, but but obviously I knew, I think, it, I don't think it's quite revealed at this point that she's suicidal. I can't remember. No, but it's not. But I, but I knew that. And it's like, oh, that's, that's horrible. And she doesn't know that because she doesn't know she's harmed herself. It's absolutely the most uncomfortable bed in the world. The, I, mean, I agree with that, but I would like to try it out. I thought it was yeah. a cool looking bed. It looked pretty uncomfortable. Um, all, <clears throat> all sci-fi beds look uncomfortable to me. They look like bricks. We're talking about on the ship. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't think there's a film where there's a comfortable bed. I'm like, you're supposed to have the, the best technology, but why are they just bricks, hard bricks? Uh, I tell you who was really a couple of um, points. You mentioned um, Fiona Davis, who I think it was interesting that there was a, another female on the ship. They didn't really explore that because obviously there wasn't another female in the original. It was a group of guys, wasn't it? But um, So it would have been interesting to see them explore that idea a bit more. But Snow, who is... Jeremy Davies. Yes. So I, I immediately remembered him from Lost. Well, saving uh, Private Ryan for me. He's, he's yeah. quite up in, in Private Ryan. But I... I think his character is so fascinating. Like I just, he's a, when you meet him straight away, he's immediately, I don't use the word awkward, but there's, there's something kind of. Off, off-putting about him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's a bit like Vince Vaughn in Psycho. He's like, you know, clearly he's. Yeah. Maybe not. I, um, I really liked his character. I think mm, what they did with him. Yeah. Abs- and I thought that was interesting, which I'm not going to delve into what exactly they do with it, but um, I thought that was quite a cool idea that, that he did towards the end. I'm curious about him as well. What's he been up to? I know he's done a bit of TV and stuff. Uh, if you want to check out his latest film, it's called Bitcon. Well, that sounds good. He was in The yeah. Black Phone, which wasn't a film oh, okay. that I loved, but he's quite good in it, actually. Well, what did you think of the resurrection scene in this film compared to the original? Because Soderbergh does something quite different with it. It was a lot milder. And, and even the... It wasn't even the resurrection, but when the actual death was milder you know it wasn't as as gruesome yeah i don't, I, I don't I, think I, I get when she i'm talking about when she drinks the liquid oxygen um yeah, yeah we have a kind of cg burn on her face and i think that's uh oh, sort of yeah, yeah. was probably told you've got to get this particular certificate so he couldn't go more than that but mm. i just thought it was interesting the way that he does the resurrection sort of playing footage and sound backwards a little bit as she's coming back to life i thought that was an interesting touch it's a bit more artistic in a way i agree it's not as impactful though i think you understand her a lot more so yeah. you get the whole how they kind of met the relationship they had uh she became pregnant i don't think it's explicitly stated but she had an abortion without led, telling without, without telling, telling him. him yeah yeah which which led to a big fallout i think Clooney, Clooney's um uh, character is fascinating as well because again this isn't this isn't about who's right and who's wrong and things like that. You know, I think both reactions to, you know, that kind of, that's a genuine reaction that, you know, anybody could have if somebody did that, you know, without discussing it at least. We haven't um, said what his reaction was, which was to leave. Yeah. So he, yeah. So he left and they had a bit of a falling out and stuff, but he's a psychiatrist. That's right. Isn't it? I was going to say psychologist. Um, so, you know, so she's again, clearly struggling with mental health issues, you know, not just related to, to the baby and things, but there's clearly other things going on. I don't want to say he's sick of her. That's not quite what I mean, but he's he's reaching a point where he's going, I, I can't be your husband and psychologist sort of thing. I can't be both of these things. And he, 
but he's also trying to be at the same time, which is pissing her off. So it's like, it's that kind of, you know, imagine being married to a psychiatrist. I like the scene where they're having the dinner party. So this is God. Yeah. Well, so it's when she, she feels ignored. So I think when they first met was probably at the same dinner party, well, not the same dinner party, but a similar kind of event, similar kind of dinner party thing. She was there and that's where they first met their eyes crossed. They flirted a bit. And then now they're in a relationship and married, he's more interested in talking to his mates or his, his work, you know, about the, the, the going to Solaris. And she felt when they were discussing about God and science, she gave her opinion, which I wouldn't say it was quite shot down, but it wasn't appreciated in the room. She just walked off and he was like, where did you go? Why did you leave? And I just thought all of this kind of tells the story of their relationship, which then is interesting in how she's manifested from Kelvin's memories because he doesn't remember her like that I don't think whereas that might be what she was did you see what I mean it's a really interesting question and I think the way that Soderbergh shoots this puts a lot more ambiguity into that character the reason I say that is because if she is only from his memories and she explicitly says I am You remembered me this way. I look this way. I sound this way. I act this way because that's how you remembered me. But that's not who I was. There's a moment in the the build up to that dinner party when he's saying to her, you know, I can handle it all. I can handle the, the mood swings and the blah, blah, blah. But you'll be expected to be there tonight. And we're seeing her as he saw her. She's got tears in her eyes. And we switch perspective to what would have been her perspective. And there's a, there's a weird focal moment as if we are seeing through tears before we focus on George Clooney. And to me, that was saying, she's not just remembering his version. She is starting to remember or maybe hypothesize how Rhea actually felt in that moment. And that's a very interesting wrinkle. But I don't mm. think it's, it's necessarily explored beyond the way the film is told visually. Again, because the idea of, of Solaris is that, you know, they're always looking out the window, fascinated by it, and this concept of their brainwaves projected into Solaris and Solaris taking them and creating, you know, their these manifestations. Um, but there's a lot of scenes where she's longing, looking at Solaris. And again, can, can, can she project into Solaris? You know, if she's a Solaris creation, can she do that to or manifest a version of something that was important in her life and interesting point yeah i i don't think she does i think kelvin stays the same kelvin throughout i don't think kelvin does kelvin swap um well are you again, gonna get into that talking yet? about the ending <laughs> i don't know i don't know about that so, yeah there's only one final thing i wanted to touch on which i'm not ben you'll probably be more familiar with this obviously being on on twitter but there's that whole thing around the shining and the camera looks. There's a lot yeah. of camera looks in both films. So they're speaking speaking to us or certainly looking at us. And I know that's an idea from not breaking the fourth wall or anything like that. I think it's it's like a speaking to the audience. And that's a, certainly a theme that Tarkovsky has done in, certainly in Stalker. So I just thought that was an interesting thing. But I'm not sure I'm just noticing it more because of the shining mm. thing that was really, really cool. If you've not seen that Twitter thread, check it out. Uh, so, yeah, I think so. In summary, um, I think the remake is uh, amazing how they distill it down from close to three hours to half the runtime while retaining the same core themes. Two central fantastic performances. Uh, Soderbergh is on it. Um, oh, Cliff Martinez score. Love it. The musical Beautiful. score is brilliant. Mm. Um, and yeah, uh, there's something I'll talk about 
when we get into um, wrap ups at the end and things. But that's uh, that's my views on the remake. I, I share. I mean, you've seen me. I've been sat here nodding for the last ten minutes while you've been talking. I share all all of these thoughts, and actually, you said some stuff in there that I, I didn't even consider. I think the 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 most brilliant thing about this is the pacing is diametrically opposed to what Tarkovsky did. You know, like you said, within seven minutes, we're on our way to Solaris. What I find fascinating about the script is, is there more dialogue? I don't know. There probably is more dialogue in this than in the Tarkovsky one, but it's very, very carefully chosen dialogue. And there are some lines in this that had me thinking they were talking about one thing, and then I realized, oh, they're talking about something else. So if we talk about that scene where she is at the window and she's staring out into Solaris. We don't even know that Clooney's back in the room at that point. She says, you found me. And he says, I came back for you. Now, I thought she was saying, you came all this way out into space and found me. And he's saying, yeah, I came out here for you. And then you realize she's just realized that the day she killed herself, he was the one that found her body. And, and he's explained to her, yeah, I came back after we had that argument. I came back. That's what you don't know that day, you know. And it's that very, very succinct dialogue is absolutely brilliant. It's conveying emotion and story and character and theme. And it's so well edited down to oh, yeah. the, the yeah, yeah. core components. It gets so much stuff across. And there's a couple of lines in this that I think are absolutely devastating. When we flash back to the, the first time they met, and I'll just say this, I think this is a very romantic film. I think it's it's extremely human, but it, it's a believable adult relationship, and it's genuinely believable that these two people had instant chemistry and they would fall in love and everything that comes after that. The first line of dialogue she says to him, now they met on a train or something and they were making eyes at each other and then they meet at this party later. Yeah, Jabarian says to him, she's a bit tricky, you know, be careful. And and Clooney says, I mean, maybe she needs a, a psychiatrist. And that's something I want to come back to. She walk he walks over to her and she says, Don't blow it. Now I can't think of a line of dialogue said in a romantic scene like that that is a more honest representation of what a woman is thinking when she's got the hearts for someone. It's like you know, you're good looking, you're well dressed, you're smart. Don't say something stupid. Right? Yeah, I loved I loved that line. I did. Great. Loved it. And the and the flip the flip side to that, later on when we have the flashback to the day when he finds out that she has an abortion and he's gonna leave, she starts breaking down. She says, I won't make it without you, I won't make it. And he says, Then you won't make it and storms out. Now that is an emotionally mm. devastating line. And the next thing she does when the door is closed is she swallows a bunch of pills. And again, I think their relationship is so well drawn when these very small moments, and that's what's beautiful about what Soderbergh's done here is you are immersed in the emotion of this. You are feeling what these characters are feeling. I think Clooney is really, really good in it. I think the moment when he, has the dream and he wakes up and she's in the bed and he's slapping himself around the face and he reaches out and he holds a pole that's in his room as if to assert this is reality i'm awake if i can touch this this is real and then he makes that moment to choose to look at her because if this is real and you're here then you're real it's a brilliant piece of acting that i, I genuinely think that might be one of clooney's best moments but 
Nat Mac, however we want to pronounce her name, I think she is fucking incredible. I mean, a very, very stunning woman, but her performance is so carefully mannered. And the more information that we find out about how I don't even necessarily sound like this. I just sound like this because you remember me sounding like this. And once she said that, I was like, actually, it does sound like she's doing the kind of English accent that an American person does when they do an English accent, even though she's a British actress, from what I understand. But the way that she controls her vocal emotion and all that stuff, there's so much in her eyes. I just think she is devastating in this film as much as anything else. It's a brilliant piece of casting because she is not a huge star. Yeah, she'd been in Truman Show and Ronin and things like that before, but I think this is her best performance. And, and I don't really remember seeing her in much since that was of this caliber. And that's a real shame. And I hope that's not just because in Hollywood terms, she aged out because she's absolutely just fantastic. There's a couple of little details. I like that sort of in both versions, but it's more it's more explicit in this version. The discovery of Solaris by the human race has created a cult-like presence on Earth. And in the first group, in the very, very early scenes of this film, Clooney is with a group. And it seems to me that they are talking about what is the psychological impact on me of this discovery of this sentient being, whatever it is somewhere else in the galaxy. Some people are scared by it. Some people are threatened by it. And some people are just bemused by it. And the thing about Clooney being a psychiatrist in this one is going back to what you were saying, Neil, about how interesting his character is, I think he used that to get to Rhea, or to get Rhea, because when Jabarian says, you know, she's got issues, it's like, great, I, I, I can work with that. That's my in. And it's a deception. It's not who he is. He lies about understanding lots about Dylan Thomas poetry and things like that. Their relationship is essentially built on deceit to begin with. And when her mental issues, or mental health issues, I should say, worsen he does get sick of having his work at home with him and much more than the tarkovsky film the journey to solaris and going through the different versions of raya that he encounters there are his therapy it, there's no doubt towards the end of this film he's resolved his feelings of guilt and everything that he carried with him after raya died he also seems to have resolved his ideas about what he actually wants out of the rest of his life. And those small conversations about God and things like that, I think are very unambiguously resolved in the final montage of this film, far more than the Tarkovsky film. I think Solaris is essentially a heaven, uh, depending on what you bring to it. So the dialogue is, is spare, as it was in the first one, but I think it's much wittier. It gets the stuff across. There's a lot more human warmth. It's genuinely romantic. It's a gorgeous-looking film and a gorgeous-sounding film. The way it's edited, if you're a fan of Out of Sight, Soderbergh's you know, Clooney and, and Lopez film, there's a very famous seduction scene that's intercut with a sex scene in that. I think there's a lot of stuff in this that does the same thing to convey love rather than, than lust. And similar to another Nolan film, Interstellar, there's a core piece of text in this. Now, I, I'll admit I'm not a, a, a great knower of poetry, um, so, but I don't know Dylan Thomas at all, but I found the line that's repeated throughout this. Though lovers be lost, love shall not, and death shall have no dominion. That's fantastic, and that is very, very cleverly incorporated into the script to say 
well, I, I'm not going to say it better than Dylan Thomas, but that's essentially the, the thematic core of the relationship at the heart of the film. Viola Davis before she was Viola Davis, probably one of her early meaty roles. Um, always love seeing Viola Davis. You know what you're getting with her. She's a safe pair of hands. Jeremy Davis, on the other hand, I like the character. And I think there is something in when we find out who his guest is, there's either a deleted scene or something. I feel like there's a bit of a missed opportunity because if you think about who all the other guests have been and who his guest is, there's a, a logical gap. And I wanted to explore that more, if anything. I think that's a really interesting concept. But his performance, I have to say, does irritate me. Interesting character, but it felt like, you know, Crispin Glover, who plays George McFly? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It felt like he was doing a pretty bad Crispin Glover impression. And I would rather that they had cast Crispin Glover, to be honest. But um, yeah, I think it's a fantastic film. I appreciate so much more of it now, having understood the original Solaris. There, I think there's a thematic stuff that you wouldn't necessarily get out of this film had you not seen the earlier film. Things that Soderbergh doesn't bother to explain. But I do, I really, really love this film. It's top three Soderbergh for me. One of Clooney's best. Uh, and I know that I will watch this film many, many more times. It really, it's the heart, I think, in this that really gets to me. So, yeah, I, I love it. These two, as in Nat Mac and George Clooney, are great together. Mm. Yeah. together as a as a you know they fit together they look great together mm. they're acting great together. all those things this is amazing after watching the original back to back i think having that as we watch the original cheese, solaris well so i mean i mean watching them so close together because i'd watched them so separate mm. so i think like you said i think just watching it straight after is almost like it's not quite what i mean but it's like watching a really good film and then going on youtube to watch somebody kind of distill it down into like a 20 minute yeah you know yeah, is the good bits of it, yeah. and I, I, I can't like if I haven't got time to stick two hours, thirty minutes, forty minutes, whatever Blade Runner twenty forty nine on. There is a short video I tend to watch, which just gives me that same feeling of what that film is. <laughs> now I can't quite do that with this, you know, ninety minute, but yeah, I, I do you know what? I would probably watch the remake more, more times than I'd watch the original. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, you haven't got I enough would. time. You haven't got enough time yeah. in your life to rewatch the original more than a couple of times. Yeah. But I, I do agree with what you said, Ben. I think this is what you've just said, Neil, as well, that I do have a better understanding of the remake having watched and and fairly recently to the film, the original. I will yeah. give the original that. Anyone who hasn't seen this one, we haven't fully spoiled it. There's there's lots more that we haven't talked about in this film. I really would encourage people, especially to see this version. But if you have seen it, there's two things that it, it it made me think of that I've seen in subsequent years that I think deal with some of the same material that are both excellent. There's a, I want to say Norwegian, it might be Swedish film called Aniara, which mm. itself is a remake, uh, also based on, it's based on an epic poem. Uh, Aniara is one of my favorite modern science fiction films in terms of dealing with the loneliness of space and the need for genuine human connection aniara is a fantastic film and really really underseen so i really really recommend that it's very adult at times sometimes midsummer in space i would say and the other is the apple tv show severance which deals with the idea of 
copies, memory lacking, things like that. If anyone hasn't seen the first season of Severance, it's absolutely brilliant, especially the final episode. So I just wanted to put those two recommendations out there. I've seen Aniara, but I haven't seen Severance. Oh, well, check so. it out, man. It's it's mm. great. Really good. So that is our discussion on Solaris Squared, or Solaris is, I don't know, Soleros, Solaris, Soleros. same thing. Um, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, moving into a kind of wrap-up on these films, um, Catherine, I'm sure you've got a whole host of stats and facts. You've probably spent, like, a Tarskovsky runtime deep diving into the intricacies of what every single shot means. So... Do you want to give us your top stats and facts on these films? Well, I'll start with the the stats, I guess. I really wish I'd not listened to you two talk about this because I was outraged at these scores and now I feel a bit less so. <laughs> but um, so IMDb for the original, 8 out of 10. 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. 92% on Rotten Tomatoes with an 89% audience score. I Yeah, I mess- but... Come on, the audiences that are going to see it are going to like it, aren't they? Let's face it. I didn't. But, yeah, but um, you were forced to. <laughs> true. Yeah, and the, the meta score was 93%, and that's for the original. I was, like I say, I was like, am I the only person? I felt like an alien on my own planet. Um, and the remake, again, kind of outraged at these scores. I know I, know I said I cooled on this a little bit after, you know, thinking about it a bit. I still thought it was a great film, but... out of 10. Mm. Rotten Tomatoes, 66 and 59% audience score and a 65% meta score. I I am surprised. Part of the reason I think this film was a a failure is very, very poorly marketed. If you go and watch the trailer for it, it's bordering on an abomination. It's I feel like it's got a cold place on playing through it or something. It's really that cheesy, like leaning into the romance angle. So I think a lot of people were disappointed by what they got. They got George Clooney's butt, but they didn't get the other stuff that they wanted. Mm, maybe. That, that's what I was going to mention earlier, that I haven't seen the trailer, but because critically, it, you know, clearly it was rated pretty highly. It just didn't do the numbers, as Catherine talked about in the kind of box office numbers. And I suspect it was marketing because mm. space movie starring George Clooney, you might or they might market it in a certain way that missells what it is, but those people who I think who went out to see it or have seen it since definitely saw the value of it. And I did a very quick Google and ended up in a couple of Reddit threads where they were comparing the original and remake, just mm-hmm. kind of reviewing them. And general consensus was that both are brilliant in different ways. You know, some people prefer one over the other, but there was preference over one over the other. So it wasn't like a clear, yeah. you know, oh, Tarkovsky's the master and blah, blah, blah. So I think Time's been very kind to the Soderbergh. And I think if the critical reception was a little cool on it, it was because of the shoes it had to fill for some people. But uh, what we haven't mentioned is it was produced by James Cameron. You know, it had some clout behind it, for sure. And I think without that guiding hand, not sure a studio would have gone for this. It's too arty. Yeah, yeah, it is arty. Artier than I I thought it was going to be. What better for it? I'm, I'm, I'm so glad. I know I was like, I want the explosions and you know the, the big guns kind of thing. I am really glad that that's what, how it, it wasn't that. It was different to how I expected it to be. Yeah, better. Any other um, facts you've got for us, Catherine? Well, oh, um, so I've done something a little bit different. I've come up with um, some different and better than the film meanings for Solaris. It's actually, yeah. So um, Solaris pertains to the sun. It is a great variety. 
It is a ship in the Mysterious Cities of Gold animated series. I love that show! <laughs> yeah. It is a progressive rock band from Hungary and also several albums, all called Solaris. Several video games called Solaris and the final boss in the 2006 Sonic the Hedgehog um, video game is also called Solaris. It's a star in the star in the constellation of Pegasus. I'm a favourite. It's a Unix Enterprise operating system. All better than the original film. There you go. Great facts. Great <laughs> thank facts. Thank you. Yeah. No, so I've got a, I've got a couple of tidbits that so there are um, clearly the themes on this very similar to to Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Um, sure. And this and this so Solaris is based on a novel that was written seven years before do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, and that's obviously acclaimed as you know a big piece of cyber costume to play in running, mm. et etc. Et so mm. yeah, Solaris the novel was written seven years before. Also, we've broken our golden rule. Because oh, well, yeah, it's a re-adaptation, yeah. Well, no, it wasn't that golden rule. Oh. Um, there is a 1968 version of Solaris, a Russian TV two-parter, so perhaps we haven't broken our rule. Uh, now, it is available on YouTube with English subtitles. So if well, you're really interested. Do you, well, do you know what? Because I mentioned Danny Ira, I, and I, I re-watched Danny Ira a couple of months ago and loved it again. I'm really tempted to go and find the old black and white version of that, which is apparently only just over an hour long. So I might watch the original Solaris as well. Yeah. So it's two hours, 22 minutes. Oh, forget it. Oh, forget yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, features! Give us your features. So we'll get into our kind of usual features. Um, starting off with our favorite is our three word review. Uh, so we review, uh, our three-word review has to be limited to three words, and we are only strictly reviewing the remake, of course. So as I often do, I will open it out to the floor. Well, I thought of what I thought was a not a clever one, but a, a, a good one um, while we were talking, and I've completely forgotten it because I didn't write it down. And I know that you can say, oh, of course you did, of course you did, but I, I have forgotten it. So I'll go with just that this is better, but I know that's a rubbish <laughs> one. I... I did think of a good one. I can't remember what it is. If, it, if I think of it before the end of the record, I'll let you know. But I'm just going with this is better because that's fact. Okay. Well, IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes don't agree. Yeah, uh, consensus disagrees. So I've got, of course, I've got a few, haven't I? But um, no, my, my uh, no, so a really, really simple one, um, which is distilled but excellent. Mm. And that obviously... That often can be a criticism of a whether it's a re remake or re-adaptation, you know, re-adaptation. Often, if a an adaptation of a novel is made into a movie, you have to distill it down, and that often loses a lot of its meaning. But this is distilled, but still excellent. Yeah, it um, doesn't it doesn't do what a lot of remakes do. like Dawn of the Dead, for instance. Mm -hmm. Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, great fun movie, but it's got none of the subtext of Romero's version, and this is the slightly poppier version. Of the of the same material, but it retains all that subtext, and I'd argue maybe even adds some more. Mm. And based on the uh, couple of great asses that we got, it's a great Solaris. I mean, that's like five words anyway. But no, it's a is one. Great. No, it's not. It's a. It's, it's a... not a word. Okay, hello. Distilled but excellent. How about go. got great Solaris? You could have gone with that. There you go. Thanks, Ben. That's my three, really. No. Uh, once again, I've gone for what I want to appear on a poster someday. Emotive, immersive, 
allegory. There you go. Nice. We also, a uh, regular feature, of course, is we take one thing from the remake and put it into the original. I can see both faces here, perhaps certainly Catherine's struggling, uh, so we'll put it quite on the spot, but um, I might test you a little bit, see if you can think of something other than the cinematography or the effects or, you know, a, this cast member. I'd go with the score because I I didn't I did not enjoy the score in the first film, but I just think it it's really difficult because if you take well I could say the director, but you need everything to go with it hmm. because I just want it to be that first film. So I think it would just if I had to pick one, it'd be the score. The score is so is used so little in Tarkovsky's film. Neil will know what I'm talking about when I say this. My soundbar, if it doesn't have any input for a little while, it'll go quiet. And eventually it'll just go, power off. There actually were stretches of Tarkovsky's film where it's genuinely silent for so long that my soundbar turned itself off. And there were other times where dialogue would suddenly appear halfway through a line because it had sort of been mute and it needs a second to kick in. So it's a very, very quiet film. Uh, I haven't gone for anything like that. I've gone for Nat Mac. I want to take her and put her in Tarkovsky's Okay, film. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good one. So I touched on this actually when we were mentioning it, that a lot of didn't explore it that much in the remake. Um, I think the idea of having another woman on the ship was interesting. Um, and I think that would be an interesting idea to explore further and Tarkovsky to explore it. Um, so one of the other scientists or doctors or whatever uh, being female, but exploring it more than the original, uh, sorry, the remake did. I see. I only it's something you know. As 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 you guys were talking, that I only really dawned on as well. I wonder if the three male protagonists of Tarkovsky's one, so Snout, Sartorius, and Kelvin, they do have a similarity to the three protagonists in Stalker, don't they? And I wonder if there's something around the Holy Trinity kind of godheads. And and what you bring from Russian religion, as opposed to American Christianity, that we're maybe not picking everything up on. Cool. And then our final uh, sort of uh, rating mechanism uh, is, uh, of course, where we rate the remake uh, in comparison to the original, or in reference to the original. Ben, do you want to remind our listeners exactly how that works? If you've taken an original film and you've made it worse, then we're going to unmake it. If you've taken an original film and you know, maybe changed a few things, maybe cut out an hour's worth of the runtime, added some music and some, you know, human warmth, but the end result is basically the same, then it's an agree make. And if you've taken the original film, done something spectacular with it, maybe something new or different, but just elevated the material to a different level, then it is amazing. So anybody want to go first? Yeah, um, I will. <laughs> Sorry, oh, sorry, Ben. No surprises, worries. Catherine. Go on. Well, it's amazing, isn't it? Of course it is. I agree. It is amazing. And I agree. Amazing. And that's not a slant on the original film. I think the original film is a, I mean, if you go to film school, which I've not been to film school, but I'm sure film aficionados who would study film and all that kind of stuff. Well, actually, actually, as I'm saying that, I think both films would could be studied in a film very differently, different lenses. And, and now you would, yes. Now you would definitely yeah, yeah. watch Soderbergh's yeah, yeah. film. But I can tell you yeah. what, I did go to film school and we definitely watched sequences from Stalker and Andre Rublev, you know, for those long, slow push-in shots and things like that, yeah. But yeah, that's a amazing zing, zing, zing all round, isn't it? Clean, sweet, love it. 
Love it. I wonder so how... I want... Because my suspicion is this will be our lowest rated episode ever because these are both fairly obscure movies. And I wonder if the people who would listen to this are predominantly fans of Tarkovsky and whether what we've just said is considered blasphemous. But to that end, Neil, without wanting to take your thunder, if you did want to get in touch with us, tell us what absolute philistines we are, morons, idiots, all the stuff that we missed, especially Catherine, then I'm only saying that I'm only saying that because she just pointed at herself. I'm not being I'm not being cruel, honest. Then you can find us on Facebook if you search for the good, the bad, and the remake podcast. You can find us on Twitter. Oh God, God knows what you'll walk into as the top post <laughs> on any given day. Neil runs that account. I completely disown it. It is at good bad remake. And if you want to send us a Tarkovsky-esque length essay about everything that we got wrong or everything that we missed. And there's no way with either of these films that we've even scratched the surface of what you could discuss with them. They are jam-packed. Then please let us know. Goodbadremake at gmail.com Excellent. What are we watching next week, guys? Anyone remember? Cat People. Is it Cat People? It is Cat People. We yeah. remember Catherine. So... Excellent. Yeah, the third film of season three, Cat People 1942, and Paul Schrader remake, Cat People 1982. So um, cards on the table, I've seen neither. I know very little about them, other than presumably it's about cat people, whether that's people that like cats or people who are dressed as cats, or maybe is it's it, cats. Is it, though? Is it? I don't though? know. Well, I don't oh, want man. to know. I don't want to know. So I'm going in, I'm assuming, and I, for the record, I have not seen cats. No, I've not seen cats either. So, no, I've not um, seen cats. So hopefully it's better than cats. Uh, no, so I, I'm genuinely looking because, you know, the um, I'm sure Catherine will tell us a little bit more about one of the films at least. But, you know, Paul Schrader, I've seen some good films. Not seen all his filmography, but certainly enjoy some of his films. Uh, and the original, a good 1942 black and white. I'm down for that. So, Yeah, it's... Um... Well, it's sort of RKO's response to the Universal Studios, the Universal Studios, the Universal Horror yeah, yeah, Studios. Yeah, the monsters, um, yeah. yeah um, but they brought Val Luton in to be a producer. I know a bit about this. I listened to a fantastic podcast. Um, Called the Good Bad Remake. No, it wasn't actually. It wasn't. <laughs> it was. Um, it was much much better than that one. Um, but it was. It was multiple multi hour episodes of about Val Luton. But um, he was brought in to kind of. In, for competition with with Universal, however, he had a very different view. He didn't want to make these big, you know, um, Dracula and um, yeah, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. He he was far more subtle. So I was from listening to the podcast. I I li- I watched this film. I really really like it. Am I supposed to say that? I'm probably not supposed to give a you know yeah, give anything away. But yeah, so I I have pushed for this a couple of times because I'm a, a little bit concerned actually because I have no idea if you guys are like it and I've no idea what the remake is. I want it to be wild. I want it to be a crazy 1980s insane version of what they think a cat people horror should be. But we'll see. I don't know. I've not seen it. I'm I'm already writing my review for when I turn up next week going. Why? Why did you make me watch this piece of shit, black and white? <laughs> um, yeah, I've not seen either of these. And, I, and and in fact, I didn't even know that, what you just said about it even being a monster movie or, or anything like that until 30 seconds ago. The only thing I know about either of these films 
is that the remake has Natasha Kinski in it. And I think on the poster, she's got yellow cat eyes. And uh, David Bowie has a song on the soundtrack called uh, Putting Out Fire with Gasoline. Oh, I uh, love that track. Yeah, Sorry, it, was used, it was used in Inglourious Bastards. Yeah, no, I love that song too. And Atomic so, Blonde as well. Oh, is it in there as well? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, uh, totally, totally fresh on this one. Schrader's a really interesting filmmaker, but he can go either way. For every taxi driver he makes, he makes something really bizarre and, and poorly received, let's say. So yeah, really curious. So if you want to watch along with us, um, should be a fun one because I think this is... I'm trying to think. Have we done a film where Catherine's maybe seen... I think this is new territory. Films between yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm really, really curious about this one, these two films. Uh, if you want to watch along with us, uh, the original, certainly if you're in the UK, great news, streaming for free on BBC iPlayer. Um, so you'll find that one. I think you've got the DVD, Catherine, if I remember right. I do, yeah. Um, it is available. I think there's a Criterion Blu-ray DVD kicking around and doesn't appear to be available digitally. So if you're not in the UK, uh, for some reason you don't have access to iPlayer, then good luck. Head to justwatch.com and you'll find out where it's available in your region. Um, oh, can I just jump in and say... Um... If you're hesitant about this, um, in a complete 180 to the film we've just watched, it's 73 minutes long. Oh, I love those runtimes. Wow. Yes. Love it. I do. The remake uh, is available in usual places. So you find it Amazon, Apple, £3.49 to rent, £5.99 to buy. But yeah, like I said, justwatch.com, head there for your region, your area. You'll find different prices uh, or streaming availability if it is available. That just leaves us, guys, to close this podcast and the Solaris. Um, do tune in next week. And I will see you then. Bye. Cheers. Toodle-oo.